Welcome everybody online. We're so glad that you guys are tuning in as well. We know that people are tuning in from all over the world. You might be in Hong Kong right now. You might be somewhere else. Uh, we're so glad uh, that you're watching this, whether live with us in this moment or catching up at a time that's convenient for you. Uh, we pray and believe that through technology, God moves just as much and just as powerfully as if you were in this room. So we are grateful for you. Thanks for tuning in today uh, and for each one of you. Who's been here for most of this series, um, for the Different Spirit series? Let's have a look at your hands. Most of you. All right, that's the majority of people here. That's wonderful. It's great. Um, we're finishing that series today, uh, and I want to speak to you about your courage and your strength. I actually believe that the number one thing that the Holy Spirit wants us to finish this series with as a way of launching us into the next thing is by reminding you about your source and your need for courage and strength. So let me start by sharing with you um, something out of my own life. I, I have a phobia. It's actually a clinically defined phobia. Uh, my phobia is that I'm afraid of the ocean. Yeah, I know. It's pretty sad. I've struggled with this fear for the majority of my life. Um, I don't mind, to be honest, being on a boat floating on the ocean. I don't mind maybe like walking on a, on a beach, putting my toes a little bit in the water of an ocean. But the idea of swimming in an ocean fills me with absolute terror. Now, I'm, I'm not exactly sure how this started, but it might have been at the moment when, at the age of eight years old, my parents allowed me to watch the film Jaws. <laughs> Anyone else seen Jaws here? Do not let your children watch Jaws. I was eight years old, and I spent the whole movie with my two pillows in front of my eyes, but I couldn't stop looking away from this ferocious water-based mammal of a shark eating everything in its path. By the way, I also have a minor phobia to cello music. And the whole time I was filled with such dread, such fear, and that impacted my whole childhood up to this day. Now, when you grow up in Hong Kong, being afraid of the ocean is a bit of a problem. There's over 200 islands that make up Hong Kong. And when you're young here, I, I spent the majority of my weekends hanging out with friends on junks or whatever it might be, and they'd all be jumping off the top of the boat, they'd all be swimming around, and I'd be the nerd in the rowing boat, rowing next to them, afraid to get in the ocean. This was my childhood, seriously. At the age of 14, my parents decided that the best way to spend a family holiday would be at a beach resort in the Seychelles in the middle of nowhere, a small little island surrounded by water. So we went there, and I remember going into the lobby of this hotel, and right there on a big board as you came in the lobby was a sign. It said, sign up for your one-day scuba diving experience. And I thought to myself, maybe this is the way to overcome my fear. Maybe if I could just get the courage in me to sign up for this one-day scuba diving experience, then I would go out into the ocean, I would see that the ocean is filled with all these beautiful things, that it's perfectly safe, and this would set me free from my fear. So I said to my mom and dad, can I sign up for the one-day scuba dive? They said, are you mad? You're phobic of the ocean. I said, yes, this is psychology. It's called flooding. You flood yourself with your terror, and you realize that it's not that bad, and you overcome it. My mom was like, where do I sign? <laughs> they signed me up 
for my one-day scuba diving experience. Now, this experience uh, existed in this way. You had a one-hour classroom of lectures. You then, for about two and a half hours, were going to scuba dive in the bottom of the swimming pool of the resort. And then after you've done that, after lunch, you would go out on the boat, and they would take you out about 200 yards offshore. They would drop the anchor rope, and what you would do is you would swim down the anchor rope into about 30 meters of water, swim around for about 20 minutes, back up the anchor rope, and that was your one-day scuba diving experience. The one hour of classroom lectures consisted of this as a summary. When you're in the water, do not have a moment of uncertainty. <laughs> this was all that I was planning to do in the water, was to have lots and lots and lots of moments of uncertainty. We then went into the swimming pool, and I discovered in the swimming pool that I was actually a really good skills-based scuba diver. I could take off my mask, put it back on again, and get all the water out. I could take my regulator out and sort of swim around a bit and then put the regulator back in. And I could do all the safety drills that were needed. My skills as a scuba diver were good. We then had lunch, which consisted of food that I do not remember because I did not eat any of it. I was so nervous, my stomach was going in knots, I couldn't handle it. Right after lunch, we stepped down onto the beach with all of our scuba gear. And I'm standing there, there's the boat, and there's this massive ocean in front of me. And I'm thinking to myself, this is the worst decision I have ever made. And I literally pray, and I say, Jesus, if you are Jesus, I need some courage to step on this boat. Somehow, I got myself on the boat. As we start to go out from the shore, they pair us up with a dive buddy, something very important. I was paired up with a Frenchman who was probably about 26, 27 years old. I'm an English person who's 14. He seemed very old and scary to me. And as he's sitting next to me, he doesn't speak a lot of English. I don't speak much French, but he can tell by looking in my eyes, I am terrified. And so he's staring at me, and I can see that that's making him a little bit like, this is my dive buddy, right? He goes, uh, 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 in the water, uh, no moment of uncertainty. <laughs> Was that all right? Was that food? Yeah, all right, okay. <laughs> I don't know what that is in French, but anyway. And I was like, okay, all right, all right. We get out about 200 yards. They let the anchor rope down. Everybody starts jumping in the water like this is the best day of their lives. My French buddy gets in the water and he starts to drift out towards the anchor rope. I realize that if I don't go now, I'm going to leave him to the terrors of the ocean. Somehow I get in the water, I drift over to the anchor rope and my French friend, he gives me a French thumbs up. I don't know what that is, but it was like, voila. <laughs> <laughs> he starts to go down the anchor rope, right? And I'm like, if I don't go now, I'll, I'll lose him. I might lose my way. So mustering all the courage I could find, I start to let the air out, and I start to descend down the anchor rope. I get five meters down, and I see a movement on my right-hand side. Now, when you're scuba diving, you can't just go, oh, what's that? So I'm there like, and a shark swims past me on my right-hand side, swims down towards the other scuba divers, and slowly drifts off into the horizon. A shark. 
I've been in the water less than five minutes. I haven't been in the water since I was eight years old. This classifies as a moment of uncertainty. Now, what a brave person would have done was to swim down, grab my French buddy, tell him, shark, you know, get him up out of the water and into freedom and safety. Sorry, but I let my French guy go. I was so overwhelmed, I swam as quickly as I could to the surface. Luckily, I was only about five meters down, so there wasn't any worries. I got right to the surface. I was panicking. I swam as fast as I could back over to the boat. The Seychelles boat boy, he grabs me by my arms, he yanks me up, and he pulls me onto my back on the boat. And I rip off my mask, and I rip out my regulator, and I'm about to go, shark, shark! And he leans over me, and he goes, hey, man, did you see the dolphin? Dolphin? Yeah, man, did you see the dolphin? I don't know why he's Irish. He just sounded Irish then. I'm like, yeah, 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 I saw the dolphin. Did you see the dolphin? I wanted to come back to make sure you saw the dolphin. Did you see the dolphin? <laughs> I think it's quite interesting how we humans have a tendency to turn dolphins into sharks in our lives. We just spent seven weeks looking at a story of Israel who, because of fear, turned a dolphin into a shark. God had given them this amazing promised land, this place for them to go and inhabit and to conquer and to take, that he had literally rolled out the red carpet for them, a place filling with, with milk and honey, grapes that looked of the promises of God, and they were so afraid of the giants in the land that they came back, those 10 spies, with a report that stirred up such fear in the camp that they felt like they were going to be devoured by the shark in that place. I mean, it blows my mind that in my fear, God thought, the best thing for me, let me help Andrew overcome his fear. I will send him, literally rolling out the red carpet of aquaness, I will send him a dolphin. Peace-loving, beautiful, chip, 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 dolphin. And in my fear, I turn dolphins into sharks, and we see that Israel suffers in the same way. And for 40 years, note this, 40 years, that fear has an impact on their lives. For 40 years, they have to wait for a whole generation to be released from Israel. A whole generation that doubted God, rebelled against them because of the fear, decided that that wasn't the way it was, turned that dolphin into a shark. 40 years that God purges that out of them, and at the end of that 40 years, Moses is still alive somehow, really old now. And, and, and he realizes that he's about to die. And in the moment of understanding that death is right near him, the Holy Spirit leads him up a mountain, a little bit like how the Holy Spirit led him up a mountain of Mount Sinai to receive the law. This time leads him up a mountain called Mount Nebo. Mount Nebo is in modern-day Jordan. And from this mountain, you can look out and you can see the promised land. In fact, I had the great privilege of traveling to Jordan just two years ago, and I was able to stand right where Moses stood, looking out on the same geographical view that he would have seen, and, and I took a photo. I want, I want you to see this. This is what it looks like. So Moses is standing there, and he's looking out, and you see all the green that is there. That's the fertile land. That's Canaan for Moses, modern-day Israel for us. 
And, and you can see maybe just, uh, if you look at the middle of the screen, uh, just a little bit to the right, there's a bit of blue dot there. That's the Sea of Galilee. I mean, you can see all of the incredibleness of the Holy Land right there from Mount Nebo. And Moses would have looked over there and would have realized, I am not going to go into that place. And instead, the Spirit speaks to him. And he decides that he's going to anoint and appoint Joshua to go and be the one that would lead Israel into the land. Joshua, one of the two spies that didn't turn the dolphin into a shark. One of the two that went into the land, believed the grapes, even though he saw the giants, came back with a report and said, it is exceedingly good. That one, who is now 40 years older, stands next to Moses, and I think there's a mixture of feelings on him. Like me, standing before the ocean that day, there's, Mo there's Joshua standing before the River Jordan once again, looking onto the beauty of that promised land, and I think he's nervous and excited. He's conscious of the mistakes that had been made in the past. And he's filled with excitement for what God is about to do in the future. I wonder if you've ever felt like you're standing in one of those moments in life. Joshua's moments. Over the last seven weeks, as we've looked at Numbers 13 and 14, we've told you the story of Caleb, haven't we? Caleb's been the center character. Caleb is the one with the different spirit, Caleb and Joshua. But Caleb took center stage, and we spoke about his wholeheartedness and, and all of that, and that was great. But now we're at a point where they're about to cross in some 40 years later, and the narrative shifts away from Caleb. In fact, Caleb's hardly heard of again, but Joshua takes center stage now. And I want you to see what takes place here. You see, wholeheartedness had gotten them to the point where they're on the edge of the land. But it would be courage and strength that would make them conquerors of that land. Are you, are you with me? The wholeheartedness got them right there to the edge, but it would be courage and strength that would bring them in. And now Joshua is wondering, how do we take the next step? How do we actually move from a place of waiting to a place of action? I, I want you to hear this, church. 40 years of waiting. And now they're at this moment where waiting must turn into action. And I believe here in Hong Kong, in the hour that we're in, in this moment of our city, it's time for us to stop waiting. I think waiting finishes and we have to now move forward in action. And the one thing that we're going to need more than anything else as we step into the place of action, strength and courage. Now I want to say this right over you right here at the start. I believe God's got something so important that is you-shaped, you-unique. And I believe that what he's calling you to is so important and so beyond your natural abilities, if it wasn't, he wouldn't be calling you into it, that you're going to need more strength and courage for what's ahead. And so I want to unpack this message for you today to help you to understand what strength and courage might mean for you in your situation, in your context, what it might mean for us as a city in our time here in Hong Kong right now. Does that sound all right? And I want to go to this passage where God, just before Joshua takes his first step, says some very important things to him about this idea of what strength and courage is. This is found in Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. 
Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I'm about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all of the days of your life. For as I was with Moses, so I will now be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. I want you to see the important thing that God does with Joshua in this moment. First of all, he doesn't mince his words. He tells him straight up, Moses is dead. Now that would have meant something for Joshua. That was his mentor, his leader, the one he has followed, the one he's obeyed, the one he's actually been an aid to, the one he's, he's given his life to. God says, that guy can't be your support anymore. Moses is dead, but then he says this really important thing. He says, now I want you to get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I'm about to give to you, the Israelites. He says this, Moses might be dead, but the mission I have for you is not dead. I want you to follow this. The man himself has died, but the mission of God has not died with him. That God's mission is bigger and broader than the individual. That's important for some of you to sit here and hear. That, that, that you might think that everything is formed and shaped around you. No, no, no. God has broader and bigger plans than just the one person. The vine is not about Andrew. This church and your faith is not about your leaders or your pastors. There is a much bigger, broader thing. Moses is dead. At some point in the near future, I won't be your senior pastor anymore. And the, the anointing and the power will shift to someone else. And God's work will continue. Because God has a plan for his people. And that plan involves people, but is not linked so much to people that when those people make mistakes, when those people don't do right, when those people disobey, that the whole thing is thwarted. Some of you need to realize that the mission you're caught up in is way bigger than you realize. Now, why is that important? It's important because what God's doing in this moment is he's creating the foundation for Joshua's courage. He's basically saying to Joshua, it's not about you, buddy. It's not your mission. It's not your idea. It's not your strength. It's not what you're going to do. No, it's my mission. I've always decreed this. 40 years ago, I wanted you to do it. And out of rebellion, you didn't. And now 40 years it's taken. But that mission has not died. It's my will, my way. Your courage comes from actually realizing that it's not about you. Because if it is in our courage, we're going to have a tendency listen to this, of turning dolphins into sharks. So God says to Joshua, this is going to happen. Are you with me? And not only that, but he says, I'm with you. We're in this together, partnership, moving into the land. You see, you need to understand that courage always comes from mission. In just the same way as faith always comes from challenge. Courage is always linked to mission. I'm not going to stand in front of you today and ask you to be courageous for courageous sake. I'm going to ask you to be courageous for something. 
And it's that something, it's how you define that something that'll be the foundation of your courage. The thing that wakes you up in the morning and you say, I'm a child of God. The thing that wakes you up and says, I have something to say to this city, to my company, to my family, to my spouse. The thing that wakes you up in the morning and says, because of the gospel, there is hope. That something that curves through your veins and pumps your blood and makes you excited to be alive in Hong Kong and a Christian for the gospel and in time. That thing, you need to discover what that is. Because it's that thing where you'll find your courage. It's linking that thing to the bigger thing that God is at work in that will help you to know and feel that God is with you. Is this making sense? You okay? It feels really quiet in here. Is that all right? Good. Notice what happens next. Thank you, baby. Baby's like, yeah, go for it. Preach it. Verse six, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land that I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it from the right to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not let, do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Three times. Notice this. God says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. And you need to know, God does not have a speech impediment. God is intentionally trying to drill something into this young man. Well, he's not young, he's old. Into this old man. It's because I see so many young people in this room. He's trying to drill something into this person and he's trying to say, you need to be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. It's that important. And so I stand over you as the Vine Church. If you're a part of this church community, then there's an authority in this place for us to be in relationship spiritually as well. I stand over you and I say for Hong Kong, for this hour, be strong and courageous. Before you take one step, find the courage and the strength to join me in missions in this hour. It was important for him to hear it before he took that step. I feel in my spirit it's important for you to hear it. There are some of us in this room who are in danger of turning dolphins into sharks because we're still a little bit consumed by the giants. God's rolling out a red carpet, I believe, for you in whatever it is that God is releasing you into. And he's saying, be strong and courageous. Do not fear. There are three specific things that God says to Joshua to be strong and courageous about. And I want to tell you that these three specific things are the things that I think all of us need to be strong and courageous in, regardless of what the something is that God has called us to, regardless of whatever mission is on you, Regardless of whatever call is upon your life, regardless of whatever's going on in your life right now, these three things that God calls Joshua to be strong and courageous in are, I believe, three fundamental biblical principles of things that all of us need to find courage in if we're going to move forward in the mission of God in our lives. 
Here's the first one, verse 6. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. The first thing is leadership. We have to be strong and courageous in leadership. And before I say anything else, when I talk about leadership, I'm not talking about me or my title here at the Vine. I'm not talking about the leadership of the Vine Church. I'm not talking about your boss in your office. I'm not talking about the leader of your family. I'm talking about you. You are a leader because God has given you a sphere of influence, some place where you have some sort of influence, some sort of authority. For some of us, it's a big influence and a big authority. For some of us, it's a smaller influence and a smaller authority. God does not look at those two things differently. He doesn't think, oh, the leaders of more are the better. So every single one of us has leadership authority because we are the children of God living the kingdom of God in the brokenness of this world. So I want you to hear leadership about you. Now, now, God turns up to Joshua, and he understands that Joshua's got a difficult job, that leading Israel is not an easy thing. And, and so he comes to him and says, you need strength and courage for your leadership in what's ahead. I think it's very obvious to us that in our world right now, we are suffering from a failure of leadership over the last couple of years. I think if there's one thing that this world is really struggling with, it is finding good leaders. Instead, what's happened is somehow politically, somehow within the boardroom, somehow we've redefined leadership to be this, that leadership now, the characteristics of leadership is so often name-calling. It's so often character assassination. It's so often shaming it's so often manipulation of the media. It's so often trying to push people to extreme points of view. And if you're not on my side of the extreme point of view, you're a hater and you're the enemy. Leadership has become incredibly divisive. And for some reason, people think that that's how power is given now. And before we as Christians begin to point out too much the speck in everybody else's eyes, we need to stop and realize there's a big, huge plank in ours. Over the last 2,000 years, the church has suffered many times for a failure of leadership. Just in the recent six months, we've seen celebrity pastors, famous NGO leaders, Christians who have fallen from grace. And that fall impacts all of us. It's hard, isn't it, for all of us when we see that. And we realize that this failure of leadership is happening both in the world, it's happening also in the church, and we're all a part of it, and God is standing over his people, and he's saying, who's going to be strong and courageous in leadership? I mean, who's going to be willing to stand for godly principles in how they lead in their office, in their family, in their school? Who's going to stand for authenticity? Who's going to stand for vulnerability and humility? Who's going to make a stand to love the other as yourself? Who's going to be the first person willing to say, I'm sorry? Like, who's going to be willing to step forward with the kind of leadership that we see in Jesus Christ? That kind of leadership takes a huge amount of courage. Because everything else around you is going to tell you that the way you get influence and power these days is by doing the name-calling and the character assassination and manipulating the media and doing all these things. And for you to say, no, I actually believe with a different spirit that there's a different way. That actually, maybe if I'm more grace-filled and grace-loving, things might change. See, I, I think there's people in this room where in the very near future, you're going to have to have courage to stand up in your boardroom and to stand against a policy that puts profit over people. 
Some of you in this room, you're going to have to have the courage to stand in your classroom or as a parent, stand over your child and stand for biblical values that are at threat. I think there are some people in this room where you're going to have to stand over that relationship that's broken in your life and you're going to have to exhibit some godly leadership and say, you know what? I'm also responsible for this breakdown. I've made mistakes. Would you forgive me? That there might be a rising up of the church to take on an idea of what strong and courageous leadership might truly look like. Let me put it this way. If we have any hope of moving the needle in Hong Kong and helping this city heal from all of its pain over the last couple of years, if we have any hope of seeing people come together in this city in more unity, any hope of being able to build a new character and a new identity for Hong Kong in the years ahead, it will come if we rise up with a strong and courageous leadership that holds boldly forth the idea of integrity and hope that is found in the person of Jesus. Like we are being called right now in this hour to hold forth that kind of hope. Where are the leaders? They're sitting in this room. Be strong and courageous. Here's the second thing. Verse 7. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all that the law my servant Moses has given you. Do not turn from the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of law depart from your mouth. Meditate it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. The second thing you're going to need strength and courage in is obedience. It's going to be really difficult to remain obedient to the ways of Jesus in this fast changing world that we're in. And God understood for Joshua that disobedience had led Israel into a 40-day, 40 40-year 40 wandering in the wilderness, a 40-year of wandering around before they were ready to go in. And God knew that if there was one thing that he needs courage in, it is to be obedient, obedient to God's word, obedient to God's promises. He wants to speak that life into him. Notice, God doesn't ask him to be more obedient. God challenges him to have courage in his obedience. And and this is so important for all of us because I think in some ways, that's where we need the courage to actually stand for what it is that we believe, to actually stand for the things of Christ in a broken world, to actually offer the obedience to the Lord despite whether that obedience might lose that promotion, might cause us to lose some friends. Obedience to Christ takes courage. And it takes courage in this world like never before. Christ is going to call you at some point in the near future to let go of things that are ugly in you that you don't want to let go of. That will take courage. God's going to call you in this near future to take a stand for the gospel when it seems that that's now socially unacceptable to do. That will take courage from you. Some of us might lose jobs because we hold on to values and morals that are contrary to what our companies are doing, that will take courage from you. And and I've been saying this for this whole year. I'm going to keep saying it. When, when, When you're in the reality of the worst moment of your life, somebody else's faith is not going to cut it for you. It's your faith and the courage that you have to take a moral stand, a spiritual stand, a stand in faith, and say, this is what I believe God's doing in this city, and I will align all of myself to it. So where does the courage come from to be obedient to God like that? Well, notice what Moses says in verse, uh, sorry, Joshua says here in verse 8. 
or God actually. <laughs> Do not let this book of the Lord depart from your mouth. Meditate it on, on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. God says, this is where your courage comes from, knowing the word. Like I'm not asking you to fabricate, fabricate some courage, but if you're going to be courage, if you're going to have courage to be obedient to what I'm saying, that courage is going to come from knowing what I'm saying. From understanding my heart, understanding my promises, making those, meditating on those, thinking about them, praying about them, using them on your lips, speaking them out over one another, standing in front of each other, reminding each other of gospel stories of a centurion who can change your life. Like these are the things, meditate, speak on the word of God. You will need courage in the years ahead here in Hong Kong. And your courage will come from your dependency and familiarity of God's word. We've done like five messages this year about the scriptures and the importance of God's word. I wonder if you're seeing a repetitive theme here at the Vine. It's time for us to know it, soak in it, read it, memorize it, have it, because the sword of the spirit will be needed, which is the word of God. Be strong and very courageous. Here's the third and final one. Verse 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Do not fear and do not be discouraged. Two things that, that, that God is saying to Joshua, you need courage, not to be fearful, courage, not to be discouraged. Now, I, I dealt with fear a few weeks ago in this series. I did a whole message on the fear cycle, the faith cycle. I'm not going to speak about fear this morning, but if that's something that you didn't hear, go back online, grab it, and listen to it. I want to talk now then briefly about discouragement. We don't talk about this a lot, I don't think, in the church, but discouragement has such an impact on us. Discouragement happens when you've made a mistake and you feel bad about it, where, where you have regrets of things that you've done in the past, and those regrets begin to shape who you are in the present. Discouragement is like a heaviness that comes upon you, like you're, you're wearing some big, heavy cloak. And God shows up to Joshua, and God knows that in Joshua's life, he has suffered discouragement. He knows that Joshua has been with the people wandering for 40 years. He knows that Joshua has made mistakes in his past, that Joshua is not perfect. And he knows that those mistakes are trying to hold him back. You see, I, I think God realizes that the brokenness of Joshua's past has the potential to hold him back from the freedom of his future. And so God comes to Joshua and says, you need to have courage in overcoming your discouragement. So let me preach on this for one moment because I think this is important for some people in this room. It's like you're carrying around sadness and regret and guilt and shame from stuff that you've done in your past. And that is now coloring who you are today and the direction you're going in the future. And guess what? It is not easy to let go of your past. It will take courage for you to overcome the heaviness of your mistakes. It's going to take great courage for you to be able to overcome the heaviness of the mistakes that you've made. But I tell you, the number one thing that will move you into freedom is not to walk into your future facing backwards, looking back on all the stuff that's broken and wrong and done and thinking that you're on plan B. The number one thing that will release you into God's mission is the courage to let go of what you don't need. Let me say it this way. The first step in getting what God needs is having the courage to let go of what God doesn't. Come on, church. 
the courage to let go of what God doesn't need in your life, the things that you're carrying that he's long forgiven you for, the things that you're still dragging around, that he's like, why is that still with you? That is gone, whiter than snow. I've washed you clean. Yeah, that was a bad thing. Yes, there are consequences. I've wiped it out of my memory. You are moving forward now, forgiven and restored as a person of Christ. And I wonder whether we would have the courage to not let the enemy win with discouragement. Some of you are sitting here and you're like, wow, that sounds like a lot of work. And you're so discouraged. And I felt like this sometimes in my life, so I understand this. You're so discouraged that you don't even know how to start. You don't even know if you have the energy to start. Wow, it sounds like a lot, Andrew, to have to face the brokenness of my past, have to allow all those emotions to come, have to give that to God. That sounds like a huge amount of work. And you know what? There is a process often in finding freedom from the things that have so oppressed us. But I read a quote this week that really encouraged me. I hope it encourages you. Let me read this to you. Courage doesn't always roar. Sometimes courage is the quiet voice at the end of the day saying, I will try again tomorrow. Isn't that beautiful? Like, I'm going to get back in the water with my scuba gear the next day. And I'm going to really try my best to not turn a dolphin into a shark. I will take courage that I'm working on a mission that is God's mission, not mine. And as Joshua is trying to let go of his discouragement, I want you to see where he can find the hope to do that. Right at the end of verse nine, God will be with you wherever you go. No matter what's going on for you, no matter where you are, I will be with you. Feeling completely in despair, I will be there. Struggling with the pain of your mistakes, I will meet you there. Holding back on your depression, not knowing how to move forward with joy, I'll meet you there. Upset because you cheated on your spouse and you've never really dealt with the guilt of it, I will be there for you. But you will need to be courageous to maybe admit some things Reconcile some things. Bring your hurt to me. So God turns to Joshua and he says, the hope will come because I haven't given up on you. I I haven't left you. I haven't forsaken you. I'm right here with you. So be strong and courageous. There's a moment in the New Testament where the disciples are really struggling. They've watched their best friend murdered on a cross They've seen him raised. They've talked to him. They've heard his hope for them. They know he's about to ascend up into the heavens. But they're struggling with the reality of what comes next. What do we do when our risen Savior is no longer with us? And I want to read you some words that Jesus speaks over his fearful disciples. He brings them up a mountain, much like Moses and Joshua standing on a mountain overlooking the promised land. Jesus brings the disciples up to a mountain so that they could look over the Greek or Roman Empire. And here's what he says to them in Matthew 28. He says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So now go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I wonder if that sounds like anything. 
That God shows up to Joshua and says, I want you to move forward. Be strong and courageous as you lead. Be strong and courageous as you experience obedience. Be strong and courageous to overcome your fear, overcome your discouragement. I will always be with you. So Jesus stands in front of the disciples and in relation stands in front of you and I here in Hong Kong in this hour. And he says, you too, be strong and courageous for there's a mission also for you. Go into the world, make disciples. That's my mission. It's bigger than any one person. It's bigger than any one church. But in partnership together, we can go. Go into that world, make disciples, teach them to obey, baptize them, immerse them in the character of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And as you do that, guess what? I will be with you. So be strong and courageous. As we finish this series, we don't finish the mission. We start it. And this is your moment to step up and step forward, to move from waiting to action, the Holy Spirit would say, be strong and courageous. Would you stand with me? I want to pray for you. And I want to encourage you, if you're comfortable, just to open your hands as I pray. I want to commission you for the something that is in your life for that thing that you are a leader on and over in your life, for that thing that gets you up in the morning, for that thing that makes you excited, for the joy that sits in you, for that call, for the mission of God to go into the world and make disciples and whatever that may manifest in your workplace or in your family or in your community, you have a unique God-shaped passion on you that no one else can do and fulfill. And so I stand before you today. And as God stands over you, he says, lead well. He says, obey my word. And he says to you, overcome fear and discouragement. Be strong, and courageous. Father, our hands are open before you, your people in this city, in this place, in this hour. Father, I pray as we finish this series that you would release over each person right now the courage to stand for you in a broken world. I pray you would release the courage to lead in ways that honor the gospel. I pray, Lord, you would give each person in this room the courage to stand for you when others aren't. I pray, Lord, you give the people in this room the courage to not turn dolphins into sharks, the courage to leave behind their regrets and their shame and their failures and to move forward, not perfect, but forgiven. Father, fill them with courage. Father, fill them with your courage. Bring them alive in joy and boldness and the authority that comes from the Holy Spirit. Send them into their workplaces and schools, into their families, into their communities, their spheres of influence with a boldness that holds forth the gospel for this time. We will not be afraid. We will see the grapes. Holy Spirit, we will repent when we need to. 
God, we, we want the whole of our hearts to be with you. Father, we want to know you, be in relationship with you more than what the things that we do, Lord. And we need strength and courage for the fight. So fill us again with faith. Allow the Holy Spirit 